You're listening to Food for Thought, the OFM podcast, brought to you by Vespa. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Food for Thought, the OFM podcast. And I'm your host, Peter Defty. And today's guest is Michele Graglia. Is that right, Michele? It is right. Perfect pronunciation. All right. Molto bene, right? So molto molto bene. bene for me. <laughs> it's a pleasure and, to talk to you, Peter. Oh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Michele. Um, and for our audience, uh, Michele is on because he's got a wonderful story to tell. And um, a little event happened here a few weeks ago in July called the Badwater 135. And lo and behold, Michele wound up being the winner and champion this year. Michele, congratulations. Molto bene. Thank you so much. Agure. Yeah, it's it's been um, as I, and it's been several weeks now, but I still have to process what happened. It's uh, it's been such a wonderful experience, and you know we had a wonderful time with our team, and everything clicked, and you know we happened to come up on top. So I'm very thankful for that experience. That's for sure. So I don't know too many details. I had no idea you were running it, um, and um, so. Why don't you tell us a little about it and, and tell us about how hot it got. I'm going to let you share that with the audience, just how warm it got there. And tell us, tell maybe for our audience who doesn't know what Badwater is, uh, tell them a little bit about Badwater. Right. Well, to me, Badwater always represented the ultramarathon. It's, it always had that allure of that extreme challenge, you know, to 135 miles in the hottest place on earth, running from the lowest point in the hemisphere to the highest point in the country, Mount Whitney. So, you know, he always had all those recipes to make it a, just a, an incredible race. I uh, went there a few times, a couple of times to crew in the past. And uh, the more I went there, the more those valleys just call my names. Uh, there's something in that desert that is just incredible. And so, you know, I got a chance to run in 2016 at a pretty rough time. Um, about 100 miles in, had a lot of issues with, with dehydration. Uh, my kidneys were uh, screaming, literally. And, uh, you know, we still happened, you know, still made it, still crossed that finish line. And so very proud of that. But, uh, you know, I didn't have the but race. It was, it was ugly, right? It was ugly. It got ugly. Yeah, it got pretty And that ugly. was before, that's before you'd made the switch to the OFM Vespa model, right? Well, you know, I, I was pretty much already on that. But it, the problem was the, the hydration plan. It completely fell apart. And if you're not on top of that, you can be as, you know, as on top of your nutrition as you want. But I, I believe the hydration during the race is more important than anything. And, yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah. That's something I talk about a lot is when it gets hot and, or hot and humid, you got to focus on hydration. Yeah, you know, not just calories. drinking, of course, but water, you know, the salts and the electrolyte yep. balance and all of that. So, you know, when uh, I learned my lesson, uh, lick my wound, I, l- I learned my lesson. And eventually this year, I, I, you know, I had a chance to put the right amount of work in, the right amount of dedication and, and time and energy and eventually, you know, toe the line with a completely different approach. I had a very uh, detailed plan, which my which my team followed by the T. And you know, as I said, everything clicked. It flowed perfectly, and I didn't really have any you know any setbacks. I mean, of course, you know you have your highs and lows in ultra marathons, but 
at that you know at that level it was a pretty smooth ride i was able to to drink and eat consistently stayed on top of the salts uh you know how hard did it get Let's share with the audience how well, it, got, it, it was actually <laughs> it was actually the hottest bad water on record. So out of the 41, 40, 41 years of the, the competition, this was the hottest on record. 121 degrees at 11 p.m. at night at the start at Badwater Basin. And during the day, it reached 128 in Panamint Springs. So it was hot. <laughs> it definitely was hot. But, um, you know, as I said, with the nutrition, with the hydration plan on point, um, the cooling system, you know, icing, ice bandanas, ice hats, all these things, it kind of worked. And, you know, we had a wonderful day and very, very thankful to be able to say I came up on top. So, so give us kind of a little race recap. So you started with the... Um Elite wave, I take it? Yeah, I started 11 p.m. Uh, with 32, 33 runners uh, at that wave, with that wave. And, uh, you know, there's all the past champions and, you know, all the great people you, you know, that inspire you. And it's, uh, you know, it's always a, such an honor to be among such, you know, great athletes and, and just beautiful people in general. There's something special about that uh, community that it really... Uh, you know, it really captivates me. But again, you know, we started 11 p.m. at night. Um, I didn't really start too fast. I started, kind of broke into my pace, so I didn't really focus about what the other runners were doing. Um, I know a few people took off ahead of me. Um, I believe that I, that I passed by the first checkpoint in eighth, 10 position, so the first 20 mile-ish. And then kind of, you know, kept going on my pace <laughs> and little by little started reeling, reeling them in. Um, I believe I passed by Stovepie Wells, which is the second checkpoint. So from that point, you know, it's relatively rolling through the desert valley. Uh, there's no major uphill or downhill. So at that point, you know, I believe I passed by Stovepie in maybe six, like fourth, sixth position. And then from there, you know, there's the big first climb. It's about 12 miles up with 5,000 feet of elevation, which, you know, it starts to be a relatively legit climb at that point. And especially the fact, you know, that the, start, the sun starts rising around that time. And so, you know, the temperature rises, you start going uphill. And, but, you know, had a really good time at that point. I, I felt solid, kept my pace. I didn't stop running the whole uphill, basically. And, uh, and little by little, you know, I cut up third, second, and I found, I found out I was in first place without even knowing when I got to the top, actually. Cause now, now, was Pete Kostelnik in first, and then he, he had some no, issues, or who, what, what happened? No, it was, um, I passed Pete just before Stovepie Wells. Uh, it was still nighttime. But uh, at that point, when I was going uphill, um, it was Oswaldo Lopez Oswaldo in the lead, yeah. Lopez, yeah. And uh, you know, funny thing, he was his van was on the side at about five, fifty miles in. You know, there's a little, um, there's a little toilet basically in the middle of nowhere, uh, halfway through this climb. And I believe you know he was in there uh, doing his thing, and I just passed him without realizing. So I got to the top, and I'm you know you have this 
immense valley in front of you with this road that never ends and I don't see his van I don't see him and I'm like how far can he be so I keep running I keep pushing and then at some point my team was like well you know you passed him like 10 miles ago so that was a pleasant surprise uh, you know we began the downhill the long downhill into Panamint Springs that's oh, where that's that's amazing yeah it's so surreal oh it's it's just magnificent really that's the right word like it's it's like it's so vast it's so powerful love that and um you know that's when the temperature started really heating up uh, we went through the desert floor reached uh, the panamin checkpoint which is about 72 miles in um at around 11 11 30 a.m and so that's when the second big oh climb God. starts and it's like, you know, the hottest time of the day. Uh, like and the sun's beating down on oh, you. Oh. Like, there's nowhere to hide. <laughs> Rel <laughs> relentless. Relentless. You know, there's no shade. There's nothing you can hide from, you know, under. And so, you know, we took on that climb. At that point, I got a pacer, my good, my good buddy, Brian uh, Tomita. And, uh, you know, he stuck with me throughout the whole climb. Um, and he got hot. He got, like hot hotter than hot <laughs> we were melting on that on the asphalt road but again even there my main focus was to try to keep the bounce and so you know again we were able to stay on top of the nutrition the, the energy levels were up the electrolytes intake was on point so um, I was able to run the whole uphill again you know another 12 miles and another 5,000 feet of elevation uh, got to the top I knew I had a you know a a little lead but not that much of a cushion so that's what I felt like I had to open up a little bit so I tried to give it a, a solid effort especially knowing that at that point you know your legs start to fall apart uh, we're reaching mile 90 mile 100 and uh, and then you have this <laughs> seemingly endless road that takes you from Darwin uh, mile 90 to uh, into Lone Pine, mile 122. So you have about 30 plus mile, 50k to go. That it just seems never end. That never ends. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, no, you I have know, the Sierras on one it's side. It's kind of weird. It's kind of weird yeah. how Darwin to Lone Pine and then up to the portal is just yeah. the weirdest thing. It's a it's a grind. So anyway, you know, we got into Lone Pine at that point. Um, I I really. You know, I was really feeling it, I got to say, because I didn't really stop moving forward. I didn't sit down once. I didn't stop, you know, pushing ahead. So there were, of course, some walking breaks in between, especially when we were exchanging stuff towards the end, you know, like some supplies along the way. But other than that, I pretty much kept the bounce and kept, kept running throughout. I got into Lone Pine. It was such an experience because... You know, such a surprise too. Got into town, all the people came out from the restaurants. There was a bunch of people from the race. Everybody was cheering. You know, something that you don't forget. And so, uh, with that good energy, I tackled the the final 12, 13 miles from Lone Pine to the port to the portal of Whitney, which is you know about 8,500 feet. So you have that last 5,000 feet climb and about 12 miles again. And uh, I I had about 20 minute 20 minutes lead. So I knew that I had a little cushion at that point, but I, you know, I couldn't get, like, I couldn't just give up, you know, I couldn't let go at that point. So I kept pushing throughout my, my whole crew was just amazing to keep me, you know, on point. And, um, 
we crossed the finish line all together and that's that's you know a memory i will never forget just an incredible experience and just you know blessed to to be able to share with those you know with great friends well you look great crossing the finish and the fishing finishing line pick so how was recovery <laughs> Um, recovery was actually pretty good. You know, I, I felt relatively well throughout, as I told you. Of course, it was hard, but um, after the race, I had a, you know, just a few hours sleep, a few hours sleep just because, I, you know, you have all the adrenaline, endorphins, you're all excited. Had a solid breakfast and then went to sleep, you know, crash in the afternoon. But, you know, a couple of days later, went for a little jog to shake out the legs. It was just like about a mile, you know, nothing, nothing crazy, but... You know, in a matter of or three, four days, I was basically back on my feet. And the following week, I kind of had to hold myself back from going out and, you know, running many miles. I was out four, six, ten miles already the following week. And, yeah, and that's, uh, that, that, as you know, uh, from making the conversion from being a high-carb athlete to an OFM athlete, yeah. it's a big, big plus. Oh, absolutely. Like, you feel, you feel the body... Uh, just recovering faster, you know, get, it, it's just stronger in general. And uh, the recovery is, is, is just incredible, as I said. It's, you know, it's kind of outstanding that 12 days after that race, you know, I was back out training, like in a big training load. Uh, now I have, I'm in about in the third week of, of, of load and I'm feeling pretty good. Of course, I'm a little tired, but uh, that's part of the training. Uh, but overall, you know, I'm, I'm pushing already towards the next goal so i'm very excited about that yeah and you have a you have a pretty big goal coming up um you want to share that with us now yeah absolutely it's uh, it's kind of a news but um uh basically you know when i first got into ultra running my main you know what got me into ultra running uh, was it's always been about exploration and adventure in the first place and and running was the you know the most primal and simple way to achieve that and so there was like some like you, you create a, a personal connection with with your surrounding and so you know there's always been that that allure that fascination towards the outdoors and so anyway long story short i've always been drawn to the extreme clearly you know <laughs> especially coming from bedwater but um i've always been drawn to extreme environments and the deserts always had that something special to me so you know, I've had this dream in, 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 my, in my drawer for a while and uh, I finally decided to take the leap and launch, you know, embark in this adventure. Um, and in the next four years, basically once a year, I would like to cross on foot the whole length of the four major deserts in the world. So next month, starting on September 15th, I'm heading down to Chile and I'm going to cross north to, to south the 700 plus miles of the Atacama Desert. And uh, yeah, okay, that's... What are the other four deserts? Um, after that, you know, next year will be the Gobi in China, Mongolia in China, and then uh, the Sahara. I know, you know, these are pretty lofty goals, um, but uh, I believe that this is the right time to, to pursue it and, uh, you know, and make it happen. It's something that, you know, if you wait for the perfect time, it might never happen. So, I just, as I said, I took the leap and uh, I launched this this project. And there is there is quite a bit of support from the people that know me and that support my endeavors. And so, very thankful for that. And then, you know, eventually, if everything falls into place, the very last desert, desert will be the Antarctica. So, coast to coast through the South Pole. 
And, uh, you know, I lived an experience similar in the cold of the Yukon uh, two years ago when I ran the coldest ultra marathon in the world, which is the Yukon Arctic Ultra. And, uh, you know, there's something special about the heat, but there's something special about the cold as well. Uh, it's something that, you know, it, 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 it makes you understand the strength of nature and the raw power that it has. And it creates a very unique bond with, with you know, with Mother Nature. You come to respect it. Uh, and there's a deep appreciation for for where you are and what you're doing at any at any moment really because you are responsible for your own action at any given time so that brings it to a high level of awareness and consciousness well that's that's wonderful okay so bad waters you know is like this this little high point but you're just going to keep moving on and and continue to challenge yourself and that's that's part of the beauty of the human endeavor and and um I think the first time I met you was in 2000, was it 14 when you ran uh, Angeles Crest? Yeah, that was you the summer like of 2014, that's right. Second or third? Second place, yeah, second place. Second place, place yeah. yeah. That was yeah. a great time, a great summer. Yeah, no, I, my, my friend Randy was chasing you. I think he was fourth. Yeah, 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 I he remember. He fourth that year, and I remember your, your wife, Lauren, with her wild hair just cheering yeah, you on. Yeah, 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 she was there creep for me the whole day. Great. Yeah, you know, so... It really, um, you know, and then you contacted me a year or so later uh, yep. about, you know, getting involved with Vespa and OFM, and, and it's just been great. So totally. I want to share not only your, your Badwater victory and your plans to conquer the, the four deserts, but I also want to share with the audience your story because it's a unique one and it's it's a captivating one and I think it's one that can inspire people in the audience um, to really kind of reflect on what really life is about and, and who we are so can you share that with us uh, you know starting with just run through quickly your your what happened you know what you grew up in Italy and what happened and then then what where things went to um, right from, from there you know right 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 Okay, well, you know, I was born and raised in Italy, and um, whereabouts? Whereabouts in Italy? Well, I I was born in a in a small town in the northwest on the northwest coast of Italy, right next to the French border. It's called San Remo. Uh, my oh, wow. my little town is actually called Taja, which is a very tiny town with like five thousand souls in the inland of the coast, you know, of the coast of Italy. So, you know, I I came from um, I gotta say, you know, a very great great family and of course you know there's that there's always been that special bond and so to me you know leaving the country was definitely a, a challenge was definitely hard but you know so so how did that all happen before we spill the beans on right. what, your, what well, your career was what you know you grew up in italy and you became so, a teenager and then right. what? well you know I, I grew up yeah i grew up over there um you know went to the local schools and uh, eventually got into university i started studying law I was pretty good at it, I gotta say, but um, about a year into it, I, you know, I was studying the Genoa Uni University, which is a pretty big deal. 
And at that point, you know, I just realized that that wasn't for me. It was very clear. I'm like, this is not the life I want to live. So, you know, I took the chance and given that my family has a business, um, my, fam my family has farms in Tuscany uh, where we grow ornamental flowers and greens. So, you know, and, and my father created this company of, you know, expert, flower expert. And, um, you know, I, I grew up in a company, basically, uh, and uh, it was an easy transition. So I... I started focusing on, you know, actually I started studying more languages. I took up, you know, started improving my English. I took up German. I studied Spanish. I studied French. I studied, I started a bit of Japanese. And How so, many languages do you speak? Well, Ooh. I can say I speak, well, um, just about three-ish. Uh, and plus another another couple <laughs> that I can buy, that I can get by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, Italian, of course, English. Uh, I'm pretty good in French and, um, you know, I can get by in Spanish and I started a bit of German and Japanese, but I can't say I speak them. So, but uh, anyway, you know, that was just because I was getting into the business. I was getting into those markets. So, so for me, it was almost like a, you know, a path of, of growth at that point to improve myself. And it was, it was exciting. You know, I was about 20, 21 years old and, you know, started doing, you know, sales and traveling for business. And, you know, I got sent to Tokyo and travel about, you know, pretty much all over Europe, started coming to the country, to the USA and uh, to the States. And, you know, there's always been that fascination. You know, I was, uh, I traveled to, for the first time uh, to the, you know, in the country, uh, it was about, was it 2000, in the summer of 2000, went to New York, went to, to, um, to, to, to Miami for the first time. And, you know, from that point, I always had a fascination. So at that point, I was a teenager. So when in, you know, 2004, 2005, I was able to, to travel there by myself for business and, you know, get to connect with the people. It was just an incredible um, incredible time of my life where I learned how to, you know, be independent in many ways. So at that point, you know, comes 2007, things were going well, was looking up to be, you know, a great time. So I decided to, you know, my then girlfriend uh, break, broke up with me. And so I didn't have any, any ties at that point. And I was like, why don't I move to for, a, you know, for a period of time down to Miami, which was our main port of entry and uh, expand the business, you know, in, improve my English and all of that. So September 2007 came and I moved to South Beach. I moved down to Miami. And uh, first week I was still uh, scouting for apartments. I was starting, you know, I just got my, my, my car. I was just trying to learn my, you know, my whereabouts and all of that. And one fateful day down in South Beach, Ocean Drive Strip, I was walking up and down to, you know, looking for places and uh, a, a thunderstorm struck, you know, those typical fall uh, tropical storms they get. So I dove into this Johnny Rockets right across the streets, which was the first place I found. And, um, you know, uh, Irene Marie, which, which was the director of a, one of the top modeling agency in the, in, in, you know, in the country at the time. Uh, she was there and, you know, she happened to look at me and then looking at me again and, um, you know, she came out to my table and started talking to me. And so that day, you know, she invited me upstairs in her, which her agency happened to be right upstairs and signed a contract that changed my life completely. And so from that day, you know, I took on a wave that 
brought me on a completely different path and it brought me to travel the world and eventually a year, year and a half later got me moving to, to Manhattan, you know, moving to New York to pursue this career full on and you know This is a this is a model as a model. Pre- as a model, pre- yeah. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. You traveled all over and yeah, you know, you you to get a tour in you know Milan, Paris, New York. Uh, you know, I was still down in Miami, traveling back and forth, and then eventually, when things started going well, two thousand, you know, the end of two thousand eight, two thousand and nine, then decided to move to New York, and that's where I lived for three years. Um, you know, I got to work with some of the top companies in the in the in the industry you know we're with Armani I worked with Valentino Giascavalli uh, you know I did a Nike campaign I did a couple oh, come on it had to be in the accent uh, <laughs> <laughs> it had to be the accent come on come on yeah, it's all about the accent of course it's all about your your, your, your Italian accent no you're a good looking guy I, I can't say that but I mean you, you know got, when, you got that when accent, I shave and I do my hair I can I'm all right. I, I know I know, all right. I know I know I know I know I know <laughs> So yeah, you know, it's 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 a life that, um, in a way, kind of swept me off my feet because you know you can imagine a guy coming from a small town and you know in Italy finding himself up up in a Big Apple, shooting with the best photographers. You know, got to work with. You know, I was in Cosmo, GQ, GQ, W, all these things, and you know, you, it's 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 almost like a, a dream life. You know, it's like the the ideal. The, the stereotype of the good life, the ones that they show you in the movies, you know, and then there's the whole lifestyle there is behind it, you know, the, the, the parties and the everything is handed out, you know, people want you here, people want you there, restaurant, clubs and, you know, uh, Rolls Royce and, and limousines and, you know, mm-hmm. bottles and models and all of that comes with it, you know. Oh, wait, wait a second here now, where did I go wrong? <laughs> and so, but, you know, it came a time where... Oddly enough, I just um, I just didn't feel it just didn't feel right at some point, you know. Just so felt, there was there was something missing there. Yeah, you know, I just didn't find the purpose in what I was doing. You know, as feel I always say, as philosophical as it may sound, but I just uh, didn't feel fulfilled, and uh, I I didn't like uh, what I was doing. I didn't like who I was becoming in the process, and so I went through this challenging time in my life this very critical times where i started questioning my myself i started questioning my my existence in, in you know uh, as deep as it can get and um and so you know there's been a, a a passage in that in those in those months where i i i consciously decided to make a change in my life because i knew that i couldn't i couldn't keep doing that the way i was doing it i couldn't I just couldn't stand everything that was going on. It's a very challenging industry, and uh, it can really demolish your, um, you know, your your respect for other people in, in many ways. And so uh, it was really it was pu- pushing me away from my values, and uh, I felt hurt, you know, in many ways. So. And, you know, these are like first, you know, first world problems, of course, you know what I mean? Right. But uh, once you have a, the opportunity to live a, the life to a certain extent, you know, I, I decided to take my, my, my path, well, my destiny, as, you know, as we say, my destiny in my own hands and started doing research and um, to find something that would call me and that would be my next life path. 
And so, you know, I start. I was always drawn since since a very young age. I was always drawn to adventure, and that was fueled in the you know in the young years by this you know the the love for the sport. I you know my father has always been a very active person. You know, instilled that deep passion for the outdoors. You know, we were skiing. He put me on skis when I was three years old. You know, we skied the Alps when. You know, when I was a young, when I was young in the winter, we would go hiking the Dolomites in the summer. So there's always been that, you know, the deep appreciation for the outdoors. And and I felt, and at that point that I felt so caged in that city, um, adventure and exploration was you know was literally calling my name. So you know, started doing a lot of research, started watching documentaries, started reading books, and and everything in between. And and so, you know, I, I found out about that, the lady that crossed the, the ocean on, on the rowboat. I, f you know, found that Slovenian guy who swims the big rivers, uh, you know, the guy that climbed the mountains and this and this and that, but none would really click until one faithful day, again, struck by a meteorological, <laughs> like a weather uh, thing, you know, it was like a big snowstorm. We, um, what was it? Christmas time, Christmas holidays of 2010. I was in Union Square waiting for my wife, and as I said, you know, a blizzard was out. So I dove into that uh, Barnes and Nobles in Union Square, and and there he was, you know, Dean Carnazes launching out of that, <laughs> of that cover. Ultramarathon man caught my eyes, and you know, it's something I never heard before. So he called me right in, started reading a few pages got the book, read it, reread it, and I was like, you know, this doesn't make sense, but for whatever reason, this is calling my name. Like, I, I need to be part of that. I need to see what he's talking about. I was very much relating to his story. I felt the same, you know, although we were coming from different life paths, um, I felt we were the same turning point. Uh, I, you know, he realized that when he was 30, I got to the point that I was 27 years old, and as odd as it may sound, you know, a midlife crisis a bit early at 27, but in a way, I took the chance and bought a pair of shoes and started, a few la started la running laps in Central Park. And that's where this whole running endeavor began. Wow, that's amazing, yeah. And uh, you started running laps, and what was your first, uh, did you just go move just instantly to the ultra scene? The trail ultra. You know, I was fascinated about ultra running. I didn't want to know about running. I knew running. So I, I wasn't interested in running a 10K. I wasn't interested in running a half or a marathon. So, you know, I started, as I said, you know, I started the very beginning of the year. It was, the, it was 2011 at that point. And um, I signed up for my first race, which was in May. And that was a 100 miler. Which one was that? It was the Keys 100 down in Florida. Ooh, Perfect yeah, weather. <laughs> Speaking of hydration. <laughs> Bad water of the south. And so, yeah, you know, not, not ideal, especially training, having trained all winter in New York, then showing up at the beginning of the, you know, the end of the spring down in, in, in the tropics. But nonetheless, you know, I towed the line with high hopes and with my short shorts, no t-shirt, handheld, and I'm like, bring it on. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know what we were talking about. You know, I didn't know anything about nutrition. I didn't know anything about hydration. So it was a bit of a bloodbath. I kind of, you know, I kind of plugged along, and um, I eventually got the lead at mile 75, and took the lead until mile 84, 
And that's when pretty much it was lights out, face plant, and they took me away in an ambulance, completely drained, completely dehydrated. You know, it took me two months to recover fully from that experience. But, you know, I was there laying in that, in the ambulance with my mom, my sister, uh, my, you know, my, everybody, my whole family came from Italy. What, they didn't bring the, they didn't fly the priest in from Italy to give you everybody, <laughs> everybody came. Yeah. The whole family came to crew for me. So it was amazing. But you know, at that point I was laying in an ambulance. Everybody was there. My now wife, Lauren was there. Everybody was crying. It was like, please don't ever do it again. And that's of course where it all started, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, that's not like, a, it a all makes sense. First. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. Well, you know, we live and learn. That's that's yep. the wonderful thing about ultra running is you do the stupidest things in the world and you <laughs> laugh about it. <laughs> totally. <laughs> but yeah. you know, in a way it made sense. Uh, for whatever reason it always made sense to me and uh it was all uh, it's always been a calling and so, you know, as I said, it took me 2 months to get back on my feet and eventually started training again and 6 months later I towed the line to the Everglades 50 and uh I ended up winning the race. Um, a couple of months later, I entered another 100K down in South Florida. I ended up winning that one as well. And so, you know, I was like, you know, with a little f more focus and a little more knowledge and a little more research, I think I can, you know, can be good at this thing. And so I decided to kind of leave everything behind and, and take a leap of faith, literally, you know, jumping in the dark. And um, I was committed to in a way, make this this passion my career, my life. And, you know, a few years later, I feel blessed enough to say that I achieved that goal and I'm living the life of my dreams. Yeah, and then, you, so was it 2014 you ran Angeles Crest? Yeah, so it was three years after I started running, yeah. Wow, 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 because that, that's one of, to me, that's one of the most challenging hundreds out there. It's not well known, and a lot of the really fast guys don't run it because... It's one of the most relentless um, yeah. horses out there. It is a grind, that's for sure. It's just, I mean, of course, the mountains out here are not, you know, they're not, you know, you, you don't compare them to, the, to, the, to Colorado, to the Rockies or the High Sierras, but they're steep and they're mean and they're long and they're hot, especially they're hot when you exposed. come, yeah, everything exposed, you know, that heat gets to you and it's, it's a very tough race, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever heard my description about it? I'm not sure. Go ahead. Okay. My, and nobody who's run AC has ever denied that that's not what it's like. And you know what I say it's like? Uh-huh. Because I've, I've never raced it. That's the one race I, I would like to do if I ever get the opportunity to be able to train for 100. But yeah. I run every step of the course multiple times. Yeah. Okay. So to me, AC is one of the toughest races because... It's like you get gang raped for 74 miles. <laughs> you're, you're getting gang raped for 74 miles, and then you get to Chantry Flat, and then they turn you over and do you up the rear with a broomstick. Twice. Uh, that's pretty Twice. <laughs> you know, with, with you know, Mount Wilson and Mount Sam Merrill, those, yeah. two, those two climbs. Towards oh. the end, yeah. That's... Um... That's that's the cherry on top. Let's say it that way. <laughs> yeah, 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 but it's, it's, it's God. I just even as a pacer and as training out there on the course, those those you yeah. know you you just it, it just never lets up all day long, and yeah. then you get to Chantry Flat and it, and and it gets worse. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> but you know, it's always that. That's why we do these things, you know, to try to find uh, that challenge that pushes to find 
that we can go beyond that. So that's that's exciting yeah. part. And I remember seeing you in you. the chair. I remember you sitting in the chair, wiped at Chantry Flat, but you got you rallied again. You were you yeah, were looking pretty. Uh, yeah, at that point, I think I was in fourth or fifth fifth position yep. and then you eventually, guys were all together yeah and then eventually towards the second the second climb after that i caught up with another couple of guys and uh you know secured my second place ruperto was too far ahead at that point to get caught yeah ruperto yeah. made yeah. his move um uh, a shortcut a shortcut yeah that's what he passed he me. made his move and yeah. i was thinking god he's gonna he's gonna blow up no and he, he kept he going never did yeah, i mean it yeah, was yeah. incredible and then yeah. Yeah, and then you rallied towards the end, and then yeah, because because uh, my friend Randy, he was like one minute behind Dominic, I think uh, Dominic yeah. at the last aid station, and yeah. Dominic probably knew he was coming and knew that course where he, he caught up, but it, it was just one of those epic races where totally second, second, third, and fourth were all like running within minutes of each other. Totally, totally. So, so yeah. very happy I I came up, you know, with the second place. It was, and I'm happy that Ruperto got his win. Oh yeah, no, yeah. he really deserves it. He totally deserves a great with guy. His age, you know, and to see a guy at his age go and and make that commitment to yeah. train to be ready, and then to to take a gutsy move like that. Totally, it, 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 that it was, was inspiring. Awesome. It's inspiring. Yeah, totally. yeah. Um, for you, for those of you who don't know what Angeles Crest is, it's a hundred mile run that starts in Wrightwood, down in the San Bernardinos, and and runs on the the Pacific Crest Trail. Uh, up until um, oh, what three three points, and then after three points is where it splits off, and then it right. takes a little detour through Chileo, and then you go right. through the San Gabriels into you go down through what I call the descent to hell. You know the the shortcut saddle, yeah, and yep. then back up, then um, back up. Newcomb. That's like that's like the descent into hell because it's it just like goes way down and then yeah, back. Yeah, and up. that's where that's where I hit my low point right there. Yep. If I if yep. I had managed that section better, I could have done a lot better, but uh, that was like a very very hard hit I, at that point. I think that hits a lot of people. It's one of those sections where um, people should be able to run and make time on it, but yeah. they're so trashed. From... I pretty much walked the whole downhill, like, and I yeah. and I and I got better on the uphill, you know, the following uphill. So that was really odd. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I know exactly what you're saying because I paced a gal a couple of different times. And the first time we walked, we practically walked the whole thing and she yeah. had a meltdown on the climb back up. Yeah. Um, and then the second time she ran it, we knew it because we knew that that was happening. It's like, like this is this is a place to make up time, but yet you don't. It's like Western states. It's like a lot of people come out to Michigan Bluff and they're so trash from the canyons that once they get from Michigan Bluff going to Forest Hill, all of a sudden the the most runnable section of the whole course, they're 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 reduced to a walk. Right, right, right. So yeah, no. Let's, let's move on. Yeah. yeah. So you've done a lot of ultras and you're living the dream, and and now you're living in Los Angeles with your wife Lauren. Yeah, correct. We've been out here for about almost six years now. So um, you know, I love this area. Just so much diversity from high mountains to deserts to everything everything you know hills and ocean you got access pretty much to any environment you can think of in just a matter of two three hours drive you know we not, need not to mention not to mention korean barbecue three blocks away korean barbecue just about the next block so yes so you know it's it's been um it's definitely been a great move to be out here and uh and be able to pursue the training the right way because you have access to gray mountains you know only three and a half hours away you got whitney 
And so, you know, it's a, it's a great playground, that's for sure. You have to come up and, and run well. You can come up to run, not with me, but we'll, we'll go run and I'll let you go because that's, where, <laughs> that's my playground is right east of me in the Sequoia National Park. Oh, yes. I love that area. Yeah. yeah so um, so what are your thoughts on this, this journey of yours? Because, you know, you've come from a, a family with, with you've been fortunate enough to come from a, a, a good family and, like you say, have first world problems and yet you've you've got that kind of grounding that's taking you back to what's real and and you know we live in a in a world that's so much far removed from that yet you right. know this experience and what you're doing uh um has been just a, a choice and, and a passion and, and you're you're excelling at it and and um I think you're also inspiring a, pe- a lot of people too, because um, you wrote a book here a few years ago called Ultra Runner with Falco. Yeah, Ultra, just Tarzan. Ultra. Yeah, yeah. Ultra. Yeah. And, and tell us a little bit in brief about that book, because it's in Italian. It's been published in Italy with some some degree of success, I hear. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, yeah. it's been it's, even that has been such a you know such a journey. Um, eventually, you know, throughout 2014, 15, 16, I had some good international races you know i had some good wins some good uh finishes and so you know things started looking up and um i just got the opportunity very randomly through a photographer through a sports photographer friend of mine that introduced me to this uh extremely famous and renowned italian writer called folco terzani and um and you know, I grew up. Folco, Folco is a character, like is an incredible character. He, you know, he, he he was born and raised in Florence, but his father was one of the most famous Italian writers of all time. He was a war uh, reporter. They, you know, they lived in China during the Mao Revolution. They lived in in Cambodia. They lived in Vietnam. They lived in India. So, and he lived in the States for for a period of time. So, you know, he's a he's a is a citizen of the world and a man of you know of great intelligence and so you know as i said through this photographer um i got introduced to folco and you know to me meeting folco was was almost like you know meeting it's like a fan meeting the you know lady gaga or something it was i was like all jittery and excited because i grew up reading his books you know it's almost like you you meet you're meeting your like a i don't know how to say it someone you look up to and so, you know, eventually Folco um, came to, to, to L.A. He has a place in Malibu. And, uh, you know, we connected by email and he invited me for dinner one night. So I had just come back from the, from the Yukon that winter, 2016. So we're talking about just over, you know, like two years ago. And, um, and so two, two and a half years ago. And so, you know, him and I... For whatever reason, you know, he's a he's a little older than I am, but you know, a very younger heart and and a, as I said, an exceptional person. And for everything just clicked. There was a very deep connection about everything in life. And you know, this thing that we're talking about, you know, first world problems, but I think it's actually everybody's problem because it's all about happiness, it's all about fulfillment, it's all about purpose. And I think that's what, you know, I don't think uh, there's anything deeper than that, you know. We all want to be happy, and and to me, living the life that you want to live, living a life with purpose, is what it's all about. 
And so in a way, you know, we connected at a higher level uh, and, um, you know, he was struck by the story of the, you know, this transition from modeling, pursuing ultra running and, um, and all of that came with it. And so he was like, you know, I want to write an article. So to me, it was like, okay, mind blowing. You know, this guy <laughs> is like a legend and he wants to write about me. So it's like, okay, this is life changing right there. And so he wrote his article, eventually came out on Vanity Fair in Italy. And he had some, some sort of success. He came out, you know, on the national level. And two days later, we got a major uh, publishing company from Milan offering us a contract to get deeper into the story and write a book together. And so Folko and I looked at each other and we're like, hey, why not? So we started talking and one story led to another. And a few months later, we launched this book, which... Um, you know, we, we launched in Italy in May 2017 and it was the most humbling and growing and probably, you know, life-changing experiences of my life, being able to connect with thousands of people all over Italy and, you know, feel that sense of, that you said, you know, being a point of inspiration for people it's something that to me transcends everything and give life purpose at that point. Because yeah. just as much as Dean changed my life, I, I realized that we had that tool at that point to em empower people to follow their dreams, to follow their vision and to believe in it no matter what. Because, you know, as my keys went to shit, uh, you know, there's always failures and uh, faux pas along the way. But, you know, if you believe in what you're doing and have that goal in mind, you know, eventually nothing can stop you and you'll be successful at whatever degree or whatever endeavor you decide to put your mind into. So you're kind of paying it forward. Yeah, it's all about that, really. Yeah, you know, I mean, in ultra running, there's really no, no recipe. You just train hard and, you know, and eventually it'll pay off. If you, tr if you, if you, if you think you can't wing it, man, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah that's kind of like for life right you can't wing that either exactly exactly and, and it is a clear metaphor right of life absolutely yeah yeah it's like like i say 100 miles like a microcosm for life totally get, yeah hey um and i want to also thank you very much for making ofm a part of your book and and having me come down to meet and talk with folco down right. in malibu i still think that was like awesome to you know, be sitting there on the beach in the sand with you guys and just down discussing. in Malibu. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those were like, the, you know, the pinpoints to understand how to, you know, because I've been following this nutrition or at least this philosophy for, uh, you know, for a few years. And but it was always, you know, almost like a trial, a process of trial and error and um, kind of never really f uh, follow guidelines in a way. But I was very much drawn towards that philosophy naturally. And then, you know, when we met, we, it was pretty much a fine tuning for me. You know what I mean? Yep, uh, yep, just absolutely. little, little twitches here and there and, uh, and everything clicks. So, you know, the, the philosophy of, of it is, is right behind it. And, uh, and as I said, you know, I'm a, I'm a true supporter of this approach. Well, yeah, and you and you know the difference between yeah. the the conventional high carb approach and, absolutely and what you're experiencing yeah. now. Yeah, and you know, I'm 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 mostly you know I, I thrive on on 
pretty much veggies and all of that stuff, you know, a very natural source. But I feel that, you know, the switch towards a higher quantity, you know, let's say prioritizing fats more than anything else, especially cutting out grains is, 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 is it's the next level. Uh, you know, even now I see, when I do my training, you know, before bad water, I was doing like anywhere from 14 to 20 miles run every morning before breakfast with nothing but a cup of water and some lemon. And, uh, you know, I will pop a vest along the way, maybe 10 miles in and, you know, not feeling any highs or lows, just feeling great the whole time. You know, you have much more, you know, much longer lasting energy, much more sustainable, much, much more consistent. And even mentally, you're much more focused and much more present. So it really has so many positive effects on the body, on the mind, and uh, on the system in general. So it's, it, is, it is almost a, an unfair advantage. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks. Thanks for that kind of plug. But yeah, I, I just, I, I appreciate you yeah. including us in the book, but I'll, I think your readers are going to get that message too. So. Oh, Absolutely. You know, it is it is kind of life changing, but you know, you kind of fit into that whole. You're like the the poster child. You're the model. You're the model. You're the <laughs> so model you're bringing me the, back for the OFM. I'm bringing you back, sucking you back. Except I'm not that big big agency. I'm just this little guy that's unknown. <laughs> but maybe you'll make me famous. Uh, <laughs> Who knows? Um, well, okay, yeah. McKelly. Well, um, anything you need uh, to talk about? Do you have a GoFundMe page for your desert project? You'd like to talk to the audience about or put have us put in the show notes yeah absolutely um you know for the for the four desert project especially for this one coming up in the atacama i started a fund a gofundme campaign uh called uh, atacama desert crossing very simple and uh you know it's basically trying to uh, aims to raise the budget to be able to cover all the expenses given that you know, it's an expedition for basically two weeks in the desert with guides and, you know, medical uh, crew and everything. So, you know, the equipment and the supplies, it costs, you know, it's going to cost a bit of money. So any little help, you know, any little support or contribution will make a difference and will be greatly appreciated. That's for sure. We'll, we'll put that link in the show notes. I appreciate it, Peter. All right. All right. Well, yeah. um, anything you'd like to share with the audience as a closing thought about your journey, uh, OFM, Vespa, life right. in general? Well, you know, uh, you know, I'm a true believer. And um, uh, one thing that I that I always say, because I, you know, I try to share my experience with the people I know and my friends and the family. And I always say at the beginning, it's a hard hit, but it's got to there's got to be a commitment behind it. Because you know how hard those first, you know, month or two can be when you transition. It's almost like reteaching the body uh, how to, you know, teaching the body to use a completely different source of fuel. So, you know, it's all about taking that, you know, believing that you can do it and making it through because once you do, there's no going back. I mean, it is outstanding. It, it, it works and it is as natural as it can get. You know, a lot of people question always the feasibility and the durability of it, but I believe that this is the the best way, the best approach to nutrition. You know, whether you eat meat or not, whether you're vegetarian or vegan, switching to a more high fat, you know, good quality high fat diet, uh, you know, 
protein are important but not as much but definitely lowering the simple the simple carbs more than anything and opting for you know a complex carb source that is not you know that doesn't overwhelm the body and uh it's not just for better performance but it's for better living uh you have a much 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 stronger system much more sustainable energy and uh, you know the energy levels everything is just up and 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 go th- goes through the day without any problems even on a focus level the mental level so it's it, it really is a life-changing approach and uh, i invite everybody to take on the journey and and at least try it and see for uh, themselves yeah well thanks thanks again michele and, and of, of course, course you're going to be leading that and, and leading by example yes um, well, it's and gonna be a, also, a fun journey to follow. In the next, you know, next month we'll be out in the desert, and I'll be following this nutrition. So it'll be a proof that, you know, it can we're be a gonna, proof. Yeah, we're gonna work towards helping you with with making that happen. You know that. I so. truly appreciate all your support, Peter. You know that. Yeah, I know, I know, and I appreciate your support and and very vocal. Um, appreciation yep. of, of what we're doing here with Vespa and OFM. So um, that's been another uh, podcast. Uh, thanks all for listening and uh, we'll catch you later. Thank you. It's been a privilege. Bye. Bye. You were listening to Food for Thought, the OFM podcast, sponsored by Vespa.